Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Your Intention Matters. My name is still Paul Madot. Thanks very much for joining us on this one. I have Mike Cervoni. He is Director of Sales Development coming to us from Plate IQ in Brooklyn. Mike, what's going on, man? Hey, Paul. Pleasure to be here. So excited. Uh, big fan of the podcast. Um, but you've been having some amazing guests on so so far. So I'm, I'm feeling really proud and you know honored to be on the show. So thank you for having well, we're, me. Well, we're saving the best for last, right? Right here, the current <laughs> one. We've been waiting for you, Mike. Where have you been? <laughs> I've been here, man, in Brooklyn, just waiting, just waiting. I think we're all waiting, right? We're all working from home. It's like we're hitting here. We're sitting here, right? So, well, listen, Mike, thanks so much for being here. Do me a favor. Say hi to everybody and uh, provide a quick intro. Hey, everybody. Um, I think Paul did a very high-level overview. Mike Cervoni, uh, coming from Plate IQ. We're a Y Combinator graduate. Um, I've been with the company a little over three years now. Um, in between my time at Plate IQ, I spent a year at Vimeo um, when I pulled a quick boomerang back home to Plate IQ, which is where I am, and um, leading the sales development front there. Um, dating back to where, you know, let's say I finished college, I was actually a professional beatboxer for a very long time, which is not something you see quite often. Um, I did that for a while, and then uh, it dawned on me that I kind of had to, had to, you know, move out of my mother's house. So I got into sales, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, and yeah, it's been a great journey. Um, I'm loving sales. I'm loving sales development, and I'm really, you know, I've been in, in a place where I've really immersed myself in the world of sales development, and I'm just so excited to be here and, and you know, potentially chat about that and my experiences. All right. Mike, can I put you on the spot here? You want to give us a beat? Um, I sure can. Something like that. That was a little cutesy one. All right. Yeah. That's pretty good on the spot, man. <laughs> All right. Good. Well, listen, man, it's so great yeah. to meet you. I appreciate the time here. Let's get into it. So, Mike, as sure. you know, the title of the podcast is called Your Intention Matters. And that's really built on the foundation that nothing is really given to any of us. We all have big decisions to make and meandering paths. And most of us in the world of sales and sales development and training really didn't even think we'd be doing this. And so I'm looking forward to you sharing your story. You ready to get going here? Yeah, let's do it. Man. All right, let's go back in time here with this one. Hunter College, Bachelor's <laughs> in Psychology, man. Okay, now listen, I, I've, I've spoken to a few people who have a psychology background, and I know we can make the link between psychology and sales and where it fits, so I get that. But right. tell me, did you have a sales career in your scope at all when you're getting ready to get going here with your life? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I think up until the end of college, I really convinced myself, and I, and I think those around me also convinced me that I was going to be like a professional musician or a professional philanthropist. Um, and, you know, upon graduation, it came, it came to this point where I already did so many cool things with beatboxing. I mean, it opened so many doors for me. I worked with a uh, nonprofit called Beat NYC, or now it's called Beat Global. So I was teaching blind children with additional disabilities how to beatbox. Um, and I was doing that with uh, Bobby McFerrin's son, Taylor. We're doing that twice a week. We're going up to the Bronx, um, teaching these guys how to beatbox. It was an amazing experience. 
And then, you know, I was able to do a video for TED Talks where we, you know, taught the art of beatboxing. Uh, we were featured in like a Vimeo staff pick, like really cool things. I performed with Nile Rogers, the guy, uh, the guy who wrote We Are Family, like mm. all these like really legendary people. And then again, graduation happened and it kind of came to this point where I was like, okay, well, well, now what? I'm still living at home, don't have much money in the bank. And something kind of happened there where I was scrolling on Facebook and my buddy who I, I knew from just through mutual friends, he became the VP of sales of this startup called Dash. And his LinkedIn post was like, looking for rockstar SDRs to come join, uh, you know, prep market for product launch. And I was like, I don't know what any of this means, but let me reach out to him because he knows me. So I said, hey, man, when can I get started? Very assumptive, right? If you talk about intentions, Love my it. intentions like... The first step was like, hey, man, when do I get started? Like super obnoxious, but really uh, showed I was going for it. So one thing led to the next. I was the you know seventh member of the company. Uh, fast forward three years and the company was acquired. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll let you ask any questions from there. But that's kind of how it happened. I, I had no intentions of being in sales. Um, it really came out of necessity, I would say. Was it a difficult realization for you that your your vision for beatboxing and and that type of entertainment and that type of craft that it wasn't really gonna it wasn't gonna pay the bills? It wasn't gonna get you what you wanted. Was that a difficult transition for you mentally? Um, I think so. I think so. And I, you know, I I I heard this similar in one of your last episodes where someone mentioned you know, they were an athlete and they, you know, saw ahead into the future of, of you know, people that they were essentially looking to model, right? People who were already uh, professional athletes and now are coaches. And, and for me, it was similar where I was looking at, you know, all the beatboxers who have made it and are already well into their career, you know, they're already in their 40s. And I'm still wet behind the ears, 20, 20 years old, something like that. And I, I, I really had to think hard, right? What, what is the quality of life that I'm looking for, right? 10 years down the line, who do I want sitting at my dinner table? And all these things, you know, taken into consideration, I was just like, at this path, at this pace where I'm looking at how much money, I mean, I'm not counting their pockets very specifically, but I'm just looking at their quality of life yeah. and the jobs that they're taking and the kind of work that they have to do like that much into their career. It was like, I don't want to do that. Um, that's not, I don't want to do that. How do I make money? Right. And, and I think naturally it became this thing where, you know, sales and many, in many situations you're uncapped, right. And everything is, is strictly the output is directly correlated with what you put into it. So I, I felt like that was kind of in, in alignment with what I was good at, where, which was talking and convincing people being likable. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just this moment where I, I just took a leap of faith, right. I went into sales. I kind of, put the beatboxing to the back burner and, and, and just went onward and upward with sales. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what happened. How long were you at Dash for? Um, about three years. Three years. Okay. Did you take the sales right away? Was it a pretty seamless transition or did you struggle? Yeah. So I, 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 I want to say I was like a fish to water. I, I mean, and I say that in the least like pompous way, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be cocky about it, but I think there were some similarities in terms of like being a performer and then being like someone cold calling. Like, I feel like there was, there was some strong alignment there. And in addition to that, you know, I, I'll never forget the gentleman who interviewed me at Dash when I was telling him about my prior experience, which was working with the blind children. He said something to me. He was like, he just looked at me. He's like, sir, you have the patience of a rock. 
think you will be great at this role. And I was like, huh, I'd really never made that connection. Like, you know, working with children with disabilities, I guess you do need patience. And, you know, it, it, it was translatable. I mean, I got on the phones and I got kicked in the teeth all day. Yeah. But um, I also got meetings like right from my first week. And I think I added value um, right from the beginning, which is why they you know, didn't hold me back and moved me into an AE role relatively quickly. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how that happened. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool to hear. I mean, I think about my first year in sales and I was working at Xerox, wasn't even a startup. It was this massive <laughs> conglomerate, this, this giant in the industry. And boy, my first year was a boy, a real struggle, quit all kinds of times mentally in my head. And so pretty cool that you took to it fairly, fairly quickly. And so a three year run at Dash. And so uh, why'd you move on? Was it your choice or was it theirs? It was it was a, a mutual situation where the company had been acquired. Um, a lot of the employees that started with the company were no longer there. Um, so it just became a, a situation where I, I had no other choice. I needed to find another job, mm. um, as did like 95% of the company at the time. So um, I did that and I um, was told that this company's single platform is like this amazing place to work, wonderful culture. And, you know, they almost operate as a, as a you know, startup culturally, but they have a very strong infrastructure. It's a constant con- uh, contact company. So I figured, hey, this is my chance to go work for, uh, you know, an established company. Right? right. So I went to single platform. It's actually where I met Lee Rosins, who was a manager already by the time I got there. Shout um, out to Lee. Shout out to Lee, the man. Um, he was a big fan of the beatboxing as well. I think every time I passed his desk, he would be like, Cherv, drop a beat. And I, I would have would like have to do it. So um, so yeah, shout out to Lee. Um, but yeah, so so that's that's kind of how that happened, transitioning into a uh, single platform. All right, cool. And so you end up moving to single platform. A good transition for you. Was it what you wanted? Yes. I think, you know, I think I had initially applied for the AE role. And um, one of the questions they asked me uh, was like, you know, about my, I think if I remember correctly, they were like, oh, how many cold calls do you think you can make in a day? And I said, I think the number I gave was like 60. And they were like, oh, that's a little low, but we like you. So we're going to give you a shot, but we're going to start you off as an SDR. And the SDR program at Plate IQ, uh, at Single Platform was three months. Um, I moved up after two because I think they realized like, okay, this guy has the chops, right? He's mm-hmm. done this role before. Um, so it became this thing where they promoted me a month early, um, but their KPIs were like hundred dials a day minimum. So it was very, very high volume. Um, and I guess from my last role, it wasn't as high volume or at least it wasn't enforced. So that was new to me. So they had me start off as an SDR. Two months later, I moved into the AE role. Okay. And so why'd you move on after a year? Um, I actually had a wonderful opportunity. One of my closest friends became the head of sales at Harry. Um, and it was a, you know, restaurant tech startup. He, you know, he had a full understanding of like what my background entailed, right? Like I was working for a tech star- uh, restaurant tech startup at Dash. You know, that was highly successful because it got acquired, right? We did, we did great there. And then I had my experience from single platform. So he was like, hey, man, like I'm the boss here come, come here, like, come, come work with us. We're like in his time there in a very short amount of time, they were able to sign up like some Michelin rated restaurants, um, a really impressive partner board um, that he got basically all on his own. So I was like, Hey, I might as well join, right? There's, there's some like proof of concept here. There's a product market fit. Let me, let me come join you. Right. And I did. And it was amazing. 
All right. Were you personally still living at home with mom and dad, or were you on your own at this no, point? No, at this, this point, I was out living in Park Slope, um, which is interesting because it's like a very, uh, <laughs> it's like a very residential, uh, family-oriented neighborhood. I don't know if you've ever been to Park Slope, uh, but I, tech, me and my my uh, roommate, we were both bachelors. Like we did not fit in. We were like the only <laughs> single man in the building. It was it was hysterical, uh, but it was a good time. It was a good time. All right. And so uh, you, you're at Hari, uh, kind of another startup, enterprise account executive here. Did you enjoy the the transition from uh, SDR AE to enterprise AE? Was that a fairly uh, good move for you? Yeah, it was definitely a good move for my pockets and definitely a good move for just, you know, you know, I went from single platform that was like a highly transactional sale. Right. Like you, you really at the time at the time that I left single platform, I was so confident that I could close anybody on a one call I love pitch, it. Right. Like any the quota was one sale a day. If you think uh-huh. about that, it's kind of insane. Um, but it really prepared me, right? It really prepared me to to come in with with a lot of grit to whatever, you know, chapter was next. And for me it was it was Harry at the enterprise level. And this was my time to really perfect the transaction. I'm sorry, the consultative sale. Whereas in my last role, it was all like purely transactional. So it was great for my career because at this point, I started you know talking solely to C-level executives, um, you know these you know, huge restaurant groups. So it was it was a it was a huge learning experience for me for sure. You know, Mike, I'm enjoying your story thus far. I I, I want to know. Okay, so you move on from the enterprise account uh, account exec role. And it's Plate IQ, Vimeo, Plate IQ. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so share with me and everybody listening kind of the last 18 months or so of your life. And, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, one company, another company back home, so to speak. And so how did this happen? Absolutely. So, so the fellow who brought me over to Harry, um, he actually transitioned to be the VP of sales at Plate IQ. Um, at that point, he's like, Hey, if you thought that we built something crazy at Harry, you got to see what we're doing here at Plate IQ, right? Like the partner board was even better than what I saw initially at Harry. There was even more of a product market fit. There was more of a hyper focus on the actual platform itself. It wasn't trying to do a million different things. Um, so it became clear to me that, you know, I'm going to follow this guy. He's taken me to my, my, you know, enterprise role. Now he's, you know, he wants me to come over to play IQ again as a team lead this time because of the experience I got in Harry. So it just made sense to me. I trusted the guy, um, wonderful leader. Uh, it didn't take too much thought. I decided why not? Let's go to Harry. Okay. You know, I'm sorry. Let's go to play IQ. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was also from scratch and like, it was more bare bones where, you know, the VP of sales at the time had to really build everything from the ground up in terms of the sales team. Whereas at Harry, there was already a pre-existing sales team. We had to come in and change things. Everything was was really built from scratch at Plate IQ and coming in at that, that very seed level um, was attractive to me, being that I would be there to really help develop all these new processes as opposed to kind of trying to change or fix ones. Um, so, Mike, why you? And here, here's where I'm going with this. All right. So, you live in a country with 350 million plus people, and you live in a part of the world where there's 20 to 25 million plus. So, no shortage of top talent across the country, but also even in your in your zip code, so to speak. Uh, what do you think it is that uh, that made you shiny? That you're standing out? That this guy says, "Come with me. Let's go." 
Yeah, I think it was, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've known this guy for years. So he's seen kind of my my level of comfort on the phone. Um, I think also just my level of grit. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that persistence wears down resistance. And, you know, I have a ton of these little one-liners, but I really do live by them. Um, so I think he just saw how, how I was so nimble on the phones um, and flexible, not physically, obviously, but, uh, but I think just in terms of being on a phone and, and kind of help, helping to navigate the conversation to get it to, to become a meeting and filling the top of the funnel and always having definitive next steps and also kind of giving him insight into the learnings that I've found through just different sales pedagogy that I've immersed myself in. And like, you know, like you said, like we spoke about earlier, just like Sandler training, spin yeah. selling, things like that. I was coming in with, because I had those years of like coming from, from Dash where we had to just figure thing everything out autonomously, I learned so many, you know, valuable things that I've taken with me to, to these startups. Um, and I think that's one of the main things, right? He saw that I came from Dash, which was you know, highly successful. So basically I could bring things and learnings from there and apply them to these startups. Um, and we've done so successfully. So it's been great. You know, I'm always interested when I hear uh, somebody joins an organization, chooses to move on, or, or maybe the choice wasn't yours to move on, and then you come back to Plate IQ. And so share with me the the or the circumstances around going to Vimeo and what was that like? And then how did you find yourself back at Plate IQ? It's a great question, Paul. Um, it's interesting because, you know, I became the SDR leader at Plate IQ only after my first year. I mean, we realized at this point, we only had like two or three SDRs. And we realized that in order to really hit critical mass as a startup, we needed to you know, fill out the top of the funnel and, and, and really build out that team. We also realized that our best account executives were people who were at one point were SDRs within the company. So it was just like this aha moment where my VP like kind of looked over to me at the office. He's like, hey, Chirp, like, do you want to be an SDR manager? And I'm like, you know, that wasn't in the plans, but, you know, this is my opportunity to really get into, a, a, you know, a real leadership role, build something out from scratch. Um, build processes around it, and then again, just creating that repeatable revenue model there. So I jumped. I jumped at it. Um, a year later, we had you know 14 SDRs. They're all killing it. Hmm. Uh, and then Vimeo had reached out to me. All right. So this was an interesting moment because they were basically offering me a lot of money at the time. So that you know, comparatively to what I was making, it was it was life changing. Quite frankly. And I had a very transparent conversation with my VP and I explained the situation um, and he was okay with it. So to, to my surprise, I mean, he wasn't like, oh, please go. But, right. you know, it was this thing where he's like, look, man, like this is your family and your, and your livelihood on the line here that could essentially just increase almost 2x, right? So like, why not, why not go, go for it, man? Like no hard feelings, right? Yeah. Year later, I get reached out to by this gentleman and mind you, we, we always talk, even in my time at Vimeo, I would always be talking with him and you know, we were friends, right? right? At the end of the day, we're actually friends. So I was at Vimeo, a year down the line, I get a phone call from the VP uh, at Plate IQ and he says, hey, Mike, um, just want to run this past you. Um, we're growing the team significantly. We're going to have a team of 45 SDRs. We're going through a massive round of funding right now. Would you be interested in coming back as a director? No pressure. And at this point, you know, I always tell this to people. It's like when you look at working at a big company versus a small company, 
something that you're sacrificing is is how do I put this? Okay, like at a bigger company, you're just another duck in a row, whereas mm. a smaller startup, you're kind of like a big fish in a small small pond, right? So that's that's the sense that you get at a small company, especially in a leadership role. Um, so it just made sense to me. You know, he was able to give me everything I needed to make it compelling. And one week later, I kid you not, Paul, one week later, COVID happened. I was going to ask you about that because I saw that it's March of 2020 when you, is when you join. And if it's my like, if my understanding of Plate IQ is correct, you're actually in the, the restaurant yeah. kind of business. And if, if there was one industry that I'm not laughing as it's not very funny, but if there's one industry that was ha- has and continues to be hit hard, it's the restaurant business. And so your decision to come back, you're happy, you're ready to come back, familiar faces, high fives, I'm sure. And then boom, uh, yeah. Zoom <laughs> WebEx for the next six, seven months. And so uh, how has 2020 been for you? Oh my God, I think this has been like the biggest learning experience possibly of my life. I mean, definitely professionally, um, just being able to kind of navigate so dynamically. And I mean, we've, you know, in the beginning, I think, I think, we had to exercise some serious uh, composure because it's very easy at that point to just get all over the place. And, and, you know, we almost got there. I mean, we got to a point where we're like looking at all these different verticals that we could tap into. And essentially we, we were testing it out. Um, so we got into this very exploratory phase where we went after cannabis dispensaries, grocery stores, pharmacies, uh, con- the construction vertical. Uh, literally I, <laughs> I mean, if you're getting invoices, there's a product market fit for what we do. So, I mean, basically any industry that's getting invoices, we had considered. Um, and then we started seeing s- some success in, in, in a few of them. And I think came to a point where we're just like, OK, let's let's pump our brakes here. Mm. Hyper focused on like one or two new verticals as opposed to like going for all, all the possible ones we can at once. So I think that's been really helpful in, in you know, our success lately and actually we've seen so much success tapping into these alternate verticals that we've been put in this position where now we have to grow and I need more SDRs. So I'm sorry to shamelessly plug myself here. If you know any SDRs looking for a role, Plate IQ is hiring. We need SDRs. Um, and that's all I'll say about that. That's amazing that uh, that you're actually in growth mode, uh, you know, because listen, some organizations are uh, here in 2020. They figured it out pretty early. They adjusted, they pivoted. And there's other companies who are still taking on water and there's other companies who they're not going to get through this and and a few others at all points in between as well. So it sounds like uh, your company's coming through this. Uh, pretty content with your decision to go back? Uh, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier. Um, you know, I always knew that there was a product market fit, but now it's like we basically have this opportunity to tap into all these other verticals that we wanted to in the past, but we couldn't because we were just doing so well with the restaurants where it's like, okay, now's our chance. And now we're like killing it with all these other verticals. Um, so yes, I'm, I feel like, like to the point I made earlier about being, being a big fish in a small pond, I feel like I'm really playing a pivotal, like a, like a key part in, the future of this business because we're essentially navigating through our tests and, 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 and our campaigns to figure out where we're seeing the best returns and what, what makes the most sense to put our efforts into. And this is like, we may essentially grow two different arms of the company now because of COVID. Um, hmm. You know, essentially we were, 
initially this this AP automation software for restaurants, but now we're working with construction companies. Like, and and even our name is Plate IQ, so people are like, "Well, what is that? Like, is that or is that a restaurant company?" And I tell people, it's "Like, no, no, no. We actually we actually take the AP process off your plate. You know, so it's like it doesn't matter. So now we've come to this place where it's like everything feels like it's happening the way it's supposed to. Right. And your point about the intentions and you know the intention there was like okay a week later COVID happens but the intention there was i'm not going to let this be a failure because yeah. literally i literally just left a company that's now doing 48 percent better this year than they did last year um so i i need to make this work or else i'll feel like a dummy right so i got to go in and you know obviously it wasn't just me it was the, the effort all all across the, the board from the team but in terms of like outreach i had to really get uh strategic there you know, man, I've really enjoyed your story thus far. I'm, I'm going to start calling you Churv because uh, I'm, I'm going to own this. You said, you know, when you took that job, when do I start? I'm going to take the assumption of this that I feel like I've known you forever here, man. So I'm just going to call you Churv. And if you don't like it, put me on okay. mute. It's all good, man. But uh, so Churv, talk to me about this. Last thing I want to ask you is I always like to ask anybody who's a guest on the podcast, if you have any feedback or any advice or something that maybe has really served you well thus far in your career, anything you might want to share, any one piece that comes, uh, you know, top of mind. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's a topic that you hear about a lot and especially during this climate of COVID and how, it, how it's so important to, to kind of exercise what I'm about to say. But I think something, it's something that I've done since the beginning of my career and, and it's just one word. It's called empathy. Um, you know, obviously right now in today's climate, it's so important to be, you know, empathetic when we're reaching out to restaurants, let's say. Um, but I think deeper than that, especially like in, in, in terms of like my leadership and my time as a leader, um, being able to be empathetic and be able to like roll up my sleeves and, and be in the trenches with my team um, has gained me the respect that I need to, to change things behaviorally and process wise, because otherwise, you know, if the team doesn't respect you, you know, new workflows will not be respected or adopted. And, and you know, being able to be empathetic and, and kind of just having one-on-ones with people and treating them almost as like a friend or like a, I'm like the cool dad, almost like I want to think of myself where it's like, let's make sure we get the work done and then we can have some fun. But let's, the most important thing is let's get the work done. Um, I'm doing that in a way where I'm leading by example. I'm getting on calls. I'm seeing for myself, I'm not going to just introduce a new talk track to the team and say, hey, guys, use this. Like, I'm going to go and actually try it out and test it out first. Um, I think a lot of people lead by what they read in books, um, when in reality, the best way to lead is, you know, with real life experiences and, and kind of showing your team how to follow and lead by example. I think that's great advice. Listen, I lied. I have one more question for you. Uh, <laughs> sure. how, how are the Knicks and Nets going to do this year? Oh, my gosh. I don't I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um I wish I had a crystal ball, Paul, but I'm going to go ahead and say Knicks. I think Knicks will do better. You think the Knicks are going to do better with, with Kyrie and, and Kevin? Really? I, I'm, I'm, I'm all about the underdog. I'm all for the underdog. Um, and it's funny because I'm a Brooklyn guy, so you would expect me to say Brooklyn, but yeah. I'll go with the Knicks. Go with the Knicks then. All right, good. Well, listen, sure, man. It's been great meeting you, man. Thanks for freeing up the time here. Really enjoyed it. Of course, Paul, it's been a pleasure. So excited to be here. And, and thank you so much for taking the time. Everybody. Absolutely. All right, everybody, let's wrap another episode up right now. Remember, your intention matters. Why? Because that's the result you'll tend to get. 
We're out of here. We are online at sellingissimple.com. We will do it again next week. Be safe, everybody, and we'll catch you then.